Good morning. It is a joy to be with you again. I think it's been a little while since I was last here, and so I'm thankful for the opportunity to, to come and fellowship with you, to remember the Lord, and to share uh, from God's Word with you this morning. Um, I would like to thank you on behalf of Shona uh, and our family. We are so thankful for you, your continued support for us as a family uh, in the work at camp, um, both financially, uh, your prayer uh, support, and the support of camp. Uh, you've heard me say this before, and I will never stop saying it. Uh, camp is dependent on so many people for the work to be accomplished, and we are so thankful for every single person that commits the time to serve there. Uh, it cannot be done by one, two, ten, twenty, or thirty. Last year, I think we had 350 people that were involved in the work at camp over the summer. Uh, 350 distinct individuals, 500 positions that were ultimately fulfilled, and that doesn't include people that were doing multiple roles while they were there serving. So it tells you the vastness of the, the responsibility and the work that's available. Uh, so if you have not had the wonderful privilege of serving at camp, and you would like to, Feel free to talk to me or any of the many people here that already do serve at camp, and you will hear uh, wonderful stories about, um, about the ministry. Uh, as one brother just said to me this morning, uh, Camp Lilola is like heaven on earth. Now, you might not all agree with that, and if you don't, you can talk to me about that too. Uh, as with everything, um, Everything on this side of eternity is imperfect, so even heaven on earth is going to be imperfect. So, because by definition, on earth makes it imperfect. Uh, so, if you would this morning turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, I'm going to read quite a bit of John 11, uh, 1 through about 44, and then we're going to jump to John chapter 12 and read just the first few verses of John chapter 12 as well. So starting in John 11, beginning in verse 1. Now, many of you are familiar with this account, and I'm sure you've heard messages and read it over and over again. Um, what I would like you to do is just read it afresh or listen to it afresh this morning. Um, that maybe something will jump out at you just a little bit different than how you've read it before. Almost every time I read it, something else strikes me just a little bit different, uh, and we can be reminded about those things. So John 11, beginning in verse 1. Now a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. 
And after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ the Son of God who has come into the world. When she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench, for he has been dead four days. 
Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from that place where the dead man was lying, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. John chapter 12, verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving God and Father, we do thank you for the wonderful privilege to be gathered in this meeting room today separated from the cold outside, separated from everything else that could distract us, so that we could just read from your word and that by your spirit you can speak into each one of our hearts. So Father, we pray this morning that you would be still our minds and our hearts and that you would speak what is necessary for each person here. So Father, we commit our time to you in the name of and for the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I read an awful lot of verses, as you've probably all agreed, and if you stayed awake with me while I was reading, good job. That's the first uh, test in this message. Really, I'm boiling this down to three points, okay? Number one, what the Lord wants to do in our life. Number two, how he accomplishes it. And number three, the result that is seen because of the work of God in our lives. You got that? Three points, simple. What he wants to do, how he's going to accomplish it, and then what the result is going to look like. Okay, so what does God want to do in our lives? You see the problem here and what was being experienced and communicated even at the very beginning of this chapter. And Martha and Mary, obviously concerned over their brother Lazarus, concerned that he was sick, and they sent therefore to Jesus, and the message was given, he whom you love is sick. The Lord Jesus responded to that and said, The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. That the Son of God would be glorified. Yet we read the story, and we know that he did die, and he went into the grave. And when he was in the grave, he was there for four days. 
So there's a greater message that's being conveyed about what God is going to do and what he wants to do, in addition to, of course, giving him glory through the process. But the problem with Mary and Martha is no different than you and I, and I say this because, especially this morning, especially this morning as we had the time of prayer after the first meeting, and I can hear of all of the prayer requests and the concerns and the things that are on people's hearts and the burdens that we have. And please, when I say what I'm going to say, understand I'm not taking away from any of those things. But Mary and Martha, when they communicated to the Lord and said, through these messengers, the one whom you love, he whom you love is sick, their perspective is we want you to fix him. We want you to heal him. Through most of the rest of the chapter, up through around verse 35, when Jesus wept, or actually verse 37, when the people responded, you see this theme going through about the whole focus of it is not on sickness and therefore healing, but on death and therefore new life. So Mary and Martha, they sent for Jesus and said, he whom you love is sick. When Martha came running to the Lord Jesus, she came running to the Lord Jesus because she heard that he was coming. And she said, Lord, had you been here, my brother would not have died. Martha goes on and gets Mary secretly and tells her the Lord is coming. You should go see him. So then Mary arose quickly and goes to the Lord. And what does she say? Literally, the exact, at least in the English version, in the, the New King James translation, literally the exact same thing that Martha said. Lord, had you been here, my brother would not have died. And then all the people that were there with Mary and Martha, that they were grieving around the tomb, they said the same thing. Could not this man, who gave sight to the blind, also prevented him from dying. Could not this man have done these things? Lord, had you been here, he would not have died. Isn't that the same perspective that we have around the world as it relates to who God is? Now, I would say this humbly, that it's in us, the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we have this perspective. Lord, just fix our problems. Heal me. Fix this. Fix that. And it's also in the world that we live in today, those who don't know God. I remember talking to a young person one time, and I was asking the question and saying, do you remember when and how you were saved? And the response at that time was, well, at this point in my life, I decided I needed God. And it was a rough point in his life. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was, it was some good things, and we could all use God. But it's an improper perspective of who God is and what he's trying to accomplish. We cannot look at God as just a vending machine, but unfortunately, that's exactly how we look at him all the time. The unbelieving world looks at him that way because they don't understand. And maybe some of you are in this room today are in the unbelieving world. You have not received the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. 
and you're just waiting for that prayer to be answered. In other words, fix this, whatever this is. Fix my finances, fix my marriage, which usually means fix my spouse, right? Because it's not me that needs to be fixed, it's that one that needs to be fixed. Fix my kids. It has nothing to do with your parenting, it has everything to do with them. Or kids, fix my parents. It has nothing to do with my disobedience as a child. It has everything to do with my parents' improper perspective of how difficult life is, right? Fix, 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 heal. And that's true in the church. And I, I, many of you, I know, are, are believers in the Lord Jesus, and yet we still have that same very perspective. And we can get to this point that if he's not answering the prayer exactly the way we want him to, then ultimately what happens is we end up turning ourselves away from God and not receiving him for who he is. And ultimately the message I think that's being conveyed here in John chapter 11 is God is not coming in seeking, desiring to just fix our problems or to heal us. God is desiring that we die so that we might be given new life. We need to die so that we might be given new life. And that's the message from the very beginning in the Lord Jesus' response. This sickness is not unto death. What do you mean it's not unto death? He did die. Because it's not unto death because he is the resurrection and the life. He is the one that is going to make all things new. He is the one that is going to take that which is old and decrepit, our bodies, our lives, every single thing that takes us away from who God is, and he's going to make them new and give us new life. And you see that theme going through this whole thing. Lord, do you really want to go through Judea again? They're seeking to stone you, that you would be killed. And I'm not even going to try to describe the parable that he gave there about walking in the day and the night and all that, because that's not the point here. And one of the things that I love here, of course, is Thomas's response. We read in the Lord's Supper this morning, somebody did, about Thomas when he was in front of the Lord in John chapter 20. And he showed him his scars and he said, Thomas, see your hands, or my hands, and put them in my side and all the thrust your hand, you know, do you remember? I don't have to try to describe it anymore then. Okay. In here, Thomas says, let us go with him that we may also die with him. Poor Thomas, right? Forever known as Doubting Thomas, the doubter. Well, in this particular case, I don't see Thomas as a doubter. Do you? I mean, I did have one person tell me one time, they see this as Thomas being sarcastic. And maybe he was being sarcastic, but I don't see it this way. If the Lord is going to go there and you're going to die, because understand the perspective of the disciples at this time is that the Lord was coming in to take over, to rule and to reign, and the whole world, all their problems were going to be fixed, no longer in slavery to the the, um, Romans and everything else. They are going to have everything solved. So if he's going to go into battle, then I want to be there with him. He was not a doubter. He wanted to be there with the Lord, fight the battle that God would have him to fight. But that wasn't the point either. So he goes on, and the Lord says to him, he says, but Lazarus sleeps. I need to go wake him. 
So of course the response is naturally, if Lazarus was sick and now he sleeps, well, he's going to get better, right? He's going to get better. Usually that solves all problems. No, <laughs> you, you don't understand. Lazarus is dead. <laughs> okay, like, isn't that great? I mean, does the Lord ever do that to you in your life? Where like you're like contemplating something and then suddenly he just speaks very bluntly to you in some fashion and it's Lazarus is dead. Did you not see this and understand? How much more plain or clear do I need to be? I need to go raise him from the dead. Because that's my whole perspective. That's what I need to accomplish in your life as well as in Lazarus's life. And of course, we get to when Martha comes forward. And Martha goes and runs to see the Lord first and says, had you been here, my brother would not have died. Your brother will rise again, the Lord says. In verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now, here's a thing for you. How many of you, um, is anybody here a Martha defender? Anybody? Good, good. We're, the seven or eight of us can go off and have a party together and leave everybody else behind. So, just joking. I'm going to hopefully convince you all to be a little bit of a Martha defender. Now, the reason I say that, of course, is because we're forever known about Martha, just like Thomas is always the doubter. Martha was always the grumbler, and she didn't understand, right? That we go back to this time when Martha was complaining because Mary was sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to him as he taught. And Martha was serving him, and she looks at him and says, Lord, are you not going to say something? No, I'm, I'm bending over to do all this stuff, and she's not helping Martha, Martha, Martha. Sounds like a Brady Bunch episode. <laughs> I think he actually only said Martha twice, but... Brady Bunch said it three times. But he says, Martha, Martha, you're encumbered about with so many things, but she has chosen the better part, right? And we go back to that. Of course, there was a great book. Well, I don't know if it was a great book. I never read it. There was a book that was written called Having a Mary's Heart in a Martha's World. I haven't read it. I'm sure some of you have. And I'm honestly not criticizing it because I've never read it. But it does send an interesting message of what this looks like. Now, when she complained about that, Mary was sitting at the Lord's feet listening to him teach, right? But what was Martha's response here? I know that he will rise in the last day. Martha, though she were serving, apparently was also listening. And Martha also was the first one to go and run to the Lord. Now, here's a study for you to consider sometime. If I haven't said this before, I'm going to say it here now. A great correlation between Martha and Peter and Mary and John. Martha always doing, Peter always speaking. Mary at the Lord's feet, John reclining on the Lord's And none of them could be highly exalted over the other. And as a Martha defender, you can see here, she knew she was listening. But yet she didn't fully comprehend and understand. Because then the Lord says, Martha, 
I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Just imagine yourself in Martha's, not Martha, Martha's position, having this conversation with the Lord and that this is his response to you. The Lord Jesus is saying that to you today. He is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. The resurrection and the life is not that which is going to happen in the last day. It's not going to be some sort of future event. It's going to be exactly what you receive as soon as you believe in Jesus Christ. Because he is the resurrection and the life. And he says to Martha, do you believe this? And Martha's response, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. Who does that sound like? Peter. Thou art the Christ. Sorry for my King James rendering. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Martha's very same response. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. This is what God wants to do in our lives. He wants us to die. He wants us to die to self, to die to everything else around us. And he wants to give us a new and living and abundant life that's only centered around him. He is not there simply to fix all of our problems, though he does tell us to cast all our cares upon him, for he cares for us. But we need to learn how to submit ourselves, surrender ourselves unto him for the fullness of his glory, because that's what he wants. When we die and he gives us life and that life becomes evident, then he is glorified. Now, how is he going to accomplish this? How is he going to accomplish this? So the first one, what does he want? What does God want? He wants us to die so that he can give us new life. Not fix our problems, die to give us new life. How is he going to accomplish this? So very practically speaking, in the life of Lazarus here, or I should say in the death of Lazarus here, we see as the Lord comes to the tomb, he gives three commandments. The first one was, remove the stone away. The second was, Lazarus come forth. And the third one was, loose him and let him go. Okay? Three commands, and to me, that's the story of how he accomplishes this work. First one, remove the stone away. To me, this is, he's telling the people around, everybody that's around the tomb here with the stone, he's telling them to remove the stone away. To me, this is a picture of the work of evangelism that we need to be part of, that he's calling us to be part of. Now, y'all will agree with me, I trust, if you're believers in the Lord Jesus, y'all agree with me that we can't save anybody. Do you agree? This means yes, this means no. You know what that means. Nobody's doing that, I don't think. 
We can't save anybody. But our work and our responsibility would be to remove the stone away so that God can do the saving. The people had to come around and remove the stone away so that Lazarus would be able to come forth when the Lord Jesus called him out. And I pray that in some fashion you can know and experience this in your own life, whether it's here in the ministry at Cornerstone Bible Chapel, whether it's in your own families as you have opportunities to minister to your own families that don't know the Lord Jesus, in your workplaces, in your Uber vehicles. The only reason I say that is because I had to ride in an Uber on Monday because our car got stuck in northeast Pennsylvania because of a blizzard and it had no tires. It had tires, but they were bald. So they had to send an Uber to pick us up. And then the lady was asking about where we're going, who we are, was showing her myself and the botters because we were going to the Triple E conference for camp, and we get into a conversation. We just had a little bits of an opportunity. Didn't move the stone maybe as far as we wanted to in hindsight. But to be able to explain the ministry of Camp Lai to give a brochure to invite her six-year-old kids when they get older to come to the camp and talk about family camp. And you have that opportunity in your workplaces, in your families, in your neighborhoods, whoever it is that you're interacting with, as you serve at camp, as you serve here in the chapel, we do so in order to move the stone so that they can hear the cry of the Savior. Now, of course, Martha's response, again, I'm a Martha defender. That doesn't mean she doesn't say things without thinking sometimes. And partly because I say a lot of things without thinking sometimes. I'm very sensitive about this topic. But Martha said, Lord, um, if we move the stone away, it's going to stink because he's been in there four days now. And isn't that oftentimes how we think about evangelism? Like we're afraid to move the stone away because we're afraid of what's going to come out. We're afraid of inviting all of those problems of the world and all of that stench to come in to where we are. We're very comfortable in the sound of chapel bells. But what he wants us to do is move the stone away, even if it does stink. And his response to Martha at that time is, did I not say to you that you would see the glory of God? There is something greater to be able to be seen if we're only willing to move the stone away, regardless of the cost to us in the process. So the first step in him accomplishing his work is to move the stone away. That's our part in the process. The second is, of course, he cries out and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And that's only the work that he can do. And you've heard this before, I'm sure, when you've looked at John chapter 11 or listened to messages um, on this passage. Of course, if he did not call Lazarus by name, we have no idea who would have come out of those tombs at that time, right? But even more than that, I want to emphasize not so much that, sure, everybody would have come out if he didn't call him by name, but the fact that the Lord Jesus knows us by name, and he calls us. So regardless of where you are, maybe in a spiritual journey, whether you've come to that place of having trusted in Jesus Christ, knowing him as the resurrection and the life or not, he knows you by name. 
He knows every single circumstance in your life, every single care, every concern, every struggle, every frustration. He knows all of those things, and he will call you by name. I found it interesting that in verse 3, when it says that, and the Lord Jesus responds, or what they said to him was, they sent to him, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. I had been quoting it, as I've taught on this before, as Lazarus, whom you love, is sick. But he doesn't call him, they don't call him by name at that moment. But he knew who was sick, because he knows every single thing about every single one of us. And his love was there, and is such for Lazarus as it is for you and for me. Lazarus, come forth. So now Lazarus comes up. How he was able to walk as he was completely um, strapped up with the, the grave clothes and everything else, I have no idea. It's irrelevant to the point of the message. <laughs> But when he comes out, we know that he's completely surrounded by the grave cause. And now you get to the Lord's third command. Loose him, let him go. And this is what happens when people get new life. They come out and there's evidence of their old life, their death, in their life. But he's telling the people to remove the grave clothes, to loose him, let him go. He didn't say, okay, Lazarus, you're out. You're good to go. Lazarus, no doubt, would be thinking well, how is it that I'm going to be able to do anything? I'm still completely tied up here. I cannot move. I cannot keep this up. And this would be our responsibility as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ for those who come out, who have new life, having risen from the dead, to be part of the process of removing their grave clothes. Let me ask you this this morning. As believers in the Lord Jesus, do you have any grave clothes on? I think we all have some grave clothes on. And if you don't, then maybe you're just not seeing very well. You think you don't, I should say. Maybe you're not. We all got grave clothes on. We need each other. It's part of the process, the discipleship, the sanctification, that we get involved in people's lives and help one another removing those grave clothes. And the grave clothes are the evidence of the death that we had apart from Christ. And we remove those grave clothes and part of the process. So what does he want? He wants us to die so that he can give us new life. How does he do it? He uses us in the process. We remove the stone in order for them, for those who have not yet trusted in Christ, to hear the call of the Savior by name. And then he uses us in each other's lives to remove the grave clothes, the sanctification, the discipleship process. So thirdly, what is the result of having received new life. John chapter 12. It says this, speaking of the three of them. There, they made him supper. Do you get that? Five words. There, they. Two words. Martha served. Lazarus was one reclining at the table. And then Mary was at the Lord's feet. Does anything strike you about that? 
what can we expect as a result of new life is a harmonious unity in new life. So remember, last time they were together and they were making a meal, what happened? Martha was serving, Mary was sitting at the Lord's feet, and Martha complained. This time, it specifically says in the word of God, there they made him suffer, and yet it only recounts Martha as being the one serving. But they did it together. And this goes to speak of a harmony that can be had in the body of Christ for those that have received new life. The new life that they had, now it's not measured by what you're doing or what I'm doing. It's measured by what is being accomplished in the work for you. And when you look at all three of them, Lazarus and Martha and Mary, each of them would be a depiction of a different facet of our relationship with the Lord Jesus of what it should look like after we have received new life. Number one, we'll start with Lazarus. Lazarus was one reclining at the table. Now I know what some of you are thinking, typical male. And that may be true, that may be true. Maybe he washed dishes after dinner, I don't know. Doesn't help. Lazarus was one reclining at the table. Isn't that what our life should look like? Um, in our relationship with the Lord Jesus, like just enjoying spending time with him. I had a brother this week that was just sharing about his, uh, his time in the morning that he spends with the Lord, that he calls his coffee time with the Lord in the morning. To just sit and read the scriptures and drink his cup of coffee, that sounds fantastic to me. When I think about that, if I were to give these three W's, Lazarus would be the example of walking with the Lord. That we would just spend time with him, that we would know him, that we would listen to him, that we would just interact and have fellowship with him. That it would be part of our natural process in life as one who has new life to just walk with the Lord and be with him. Of course, Martha was serving. So that would be a picture of us and our work for the Lord, right? So we have our walk and our work. And that should be an evidence of new life, yes? That we would be involved in the work that God has us to do. That if we truly have died to self and died to who we were before, who we were apart from who Christ is, that we've died to that, that our whole life now would be centered on knowing him, walking with him, and also working for him, doing things for him that we would stop trying to just fill ourselves with everything else that we want to do, that what might, how do I want to say this, satisfy our desire for entertainment and fulfillment on this earth, but rather find ourselves consumed with time of with him and working for him. And then, of course, we have Mary. And here is the Mary's heart, right? Mary, who just sat at the Lord's feet, took this very expensive ointment, oil, and poured it on the Lord's feet in worship of him. And of course, she did that beautiful, wonderful thing with her hair. She would actually use her hair to wipe his feet with it. 
Isn't that a beautiful picture? I mean, taking of her glory and using it to worship the Lord. And of course, when she poured out that oil, the fragrance could be smelled by every person in the room. The heart of one worshiper would have an impact on everybody in the room. And then even better than that, Mary, who in this place was worshiping and doing it with her hair, would leave from that place. And she'd walk down the city streets. And what would happen then? Well, her hair went with her. And her hair still had the fragrance of the oil in it. This one who was just worshiping at the Lord's feet, now everywhere she would go, the fragrance of her worship would remain with her. And if I can sum all three of these up, the walk, the work, and the worship into one thing, it's the witness. The witness of who Jesus Christ is. The witness of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. And our walking with the Lord, the Lazarus himself was a witness simply by being alive. They knew that he was dead. He was dead in the, in the grave for four days. But now Lazarus is up and he's walking around, so much so that they sought to kill Lazarus too. They wanted to kill the Lord Jesus because he performed these miracles and, and people were drawn and attracted to him. But now they wanted to kill him. Why? Because he's a witness. And we're a witness when we work for the Lord. When people ask you, what do you do with your summer vacations? And hopefully, all of you will say, well, I go to Camp Lilola. It's nice when you can do those little promotional videos right into the message. And people say, well, what's Camp Lilola? Well, it's our church camp, our Christian camp. Well, what do you do there? Well, we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and the teaching of God's word in a rural setting. <laughs> this is what we do at Camp Lilola. Well, why would you use your vacation time to do that? Well, because he gave me new life. He gave me new life. And because he gave me new life, I'm sacrificing this one over to him. And our walking with the Lord, they're going to see us just simply as we walk. They're going to be able to experience and witness the fact that there could be new life. And our work for the Lord, people are going to ask, and it's going to be a witness. And they're going to understand our work is evidence of a new life. And in our worship, the fragrance, I pray for each one of us, not just worship and gathering together with believers on Sunday morning, but the worship of our own lives and our time with the Lord, that we could just sit at the Lord's feet and pour out our adoration on him. And as we do so, then our whole mental and emotional attitude is transformed so that when we go from that place, people are going to say, man, you've got a glow about you. What is that? Oh, I've just really been appreciating my time with the Lord this morning. What do you mean, time with the Lord this morning? Ah, I just enjoy the Lord because he's given me new life. And because of that, I want to worship him. So what does God want to accomplish in our lives? What does he want to see? He wants to see us die because he has promised to give us new life. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. How is he going to accomplish that? He's going to use you and me, believers in the Lord Jesus, to, to move the stone away so that those who have not yet heard the call of the Savior can hear it. He's going to call and, and invite people to be saved. And this morning, if you're here and you don't yet know the Lord Jesus Christ, please understand you are dead and without God in this world, without hope. But there is hope in whom? Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection and the life. I am convinced, by the way, that not only did Lazarus get new life when he was raised from the dead, but Martha and Mary also received new life. That's why Martha no longer grumbled, because she's new. Lord calls, and then we get involved in people's lives, and we help remove those grave clothes. And guess what? They're going to stink too. They're going to smell bad, but we're going to get involved because why? Because we love the one that the Lord Jesus loves. We love the one that God has given new life to, and we want to be part of that process. And what do we see as a result of that? Harmonious unity in the body of Christ. Each one of us being a little different. Maybe one has a better walk, and they're not as good at working and worshiping, and that's okay. Lazarus sat at the table. Maybe one works better, but isn't quite as good at the walk and the worship. That's okay, because Martha served. And maybe one is really great at just spending time with the Lord in worship of him. And their walk and their work isn't quite as good. That's okay, because the fragrance filled the room and everybody was impacted by it. Isn't it beautiful? What we can have in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have come to give us new life. We're not just trying to put band-aids on the old life and try to fix all of the problems. Father, that you have desired to see us come to this place of death in order to truly give us new life. And Father, we know that all of those problems of the past don't go away. The grave clothes are still there as evidence of that death. But Father, we pray that you would use each one of us in each other's lives to remove those grave clothes. That we might see you glorified in it all. The Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the resurrection and the life to receive all the glory. And Father, this morning we do pray that if there is anybody in this room who perhaps looks at you simply as one to solve their problems and has not yet trusted in who you are and who the Lord Jesus Christ is, the one who gives new life, Father, we do pray for them this morning that they would know and understand him who does this, who gives new life. Lord, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these precious truths. We just pray that we don't just listen to a message and walk home, go home. But Father, that you would continue to transform our own thoughts as a result of your word. 
Father, we commit this to you in the name and for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.